This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello, and welcome to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. Coming up, we're at the country's last surviving lakeside bobbin mill. But what's a bobbin? A bobbin is a cylinder or cone holding a thread, yarn or wire, and it was used in the spinning, weaving and sewing. We hear about the mill's refurbished steam boiler. They've made it a new boiler, but they have used some of the original parts. So we've got the fire door here, the doors, and then the sight glasses and the water injector and the donkey pump all from the old boiler. And we'll discover how children as young as eight worked here as bobbin boys. That's all coming up in a few moments with Mick Callahan and Tracy Shaw, our experts from Stott Park Bobbin Mill in Cumbria. First, though, let's see what's coming up soon on future episodes of the English Heritage Podcast. Architecturally, technologically, the Iron Bridge is sort of symbolic of the way the world was being made anew during the, the Industrial Revolution that took place here in 1760, 1830. We're scoring the paintings between one and four, and one is in good condition and stable, and four is in poor condition and unstable. And we will then have to sit down and decide where and what we need to do. It's an amazing survival of an aristocratic townhouse. These kind of houses that used to be all over London and really Apsley House is the only surviving example of that. And it still sort of sits there in splendid isolation. Plenty more stories to look forward to there. Now, you've joined us on a journey to Cumbria in the northwest of England. We're heading to the Lake District, home of England's largest national park and one of our most popular tourist destinations. But in the Victorian age, here near the southwestern side of Lake Windermere, it was a completely different scene that once dominated. Hi, I'm Mick Callaghan, I'm property manager for Cumbria and Lancashire and we look after Stop Park Bobbin Mill. The wooden bobbin played a massive part in the Industrial Revolution. It was supplying all the mills in Lancashire and Yorkshire and they were clothing the world. We're standing at the edge of a waterfall, we're in the middle of the countryside and here is a bobbin mill. Why is a bobbin mill sort of in the middle of the countryside, in the middle of the Lake District. It was very industrial in the Lake Districts originally. They used to manage the woodland. There was ironworks, there was smelting works, there was a lot going on. The bobbin industry was massive. There was over 65 bobbin mills in the Lake District. They used to feed the industry for Lancashire, Yorkshire, and then they did actually go across the country and across the world. And why? this particular lake location for creating bobbins? Well they have the two natural resources water for the power, we get plenty of water in the Lake District so plenty of power and the timber for the product. The original mill in 1835 was a water wheel they then put a water turbine in because it was more efficient steam came later so they added the steam engine and then electricity by 1941. How sustainable was it as an industry then because we're standing in a woodland with lots of fallen giant logs and then also some narrower trees, and we can hear the wind blowing through the leaves above our heads here, but uh, how sustainable was it? 
Well, they used to coppice the woodland. And coppicing is when you cut the tree down at the trunk, it grows new branches, they grew up in long straight poles to the natural sunlight or daylight. 10, 12 years worth of growth, and you to be able to cut them down again, and you've got the poles ready to make into bobbins, and then you come back in 12 years and cut them down again. It was sustainable, and they were managing the whole of the area and using all the woodland. I guess following on from that then, I really need to know, and we've come all this way, what is a bobbin? But perhaps you can answer that question as we go towards the mill. Okay, we'll go down this way. We come in through the sliding door, we've gone over a cobbled area, which is the old part of the mill. We're in the more later edition. And I'm here to ask you, of course, what is a bobbin? A bobbin, it was sometimes known as a spool or a reel, but it's a cylinder or cone holding a thread, yarn or wire, and it was used in the spinning, weaving and sewing. Will we also call them cotton reels? That's right. How does a bobbin get its name? It's from the French word bobine. That's a small instrument used in sewing. It shares a Latin root with babble, and that's for the, the sound it makes whilst unspooling the thread. But when you'd finished with the sewing, the wooden bobbin, you either made toys out of it by putting nails in the end and doing French knitting, or you threw them on the open fire. They were a disposable item and you were paying for the cotton. Like say in some parts of the northern cities, bobbins means rubbish, or oh, it's bobbins, it's rubbish, throw it away. I think the other one is the rhyming slang of uh, bobbins of cottons means rotten. I'd never knew that before. And we've got different um, types of bobbins that you've gathered out of a couple of baskets, all different shapes and sizes and colours. The small one is probably the cotton reel that one would recognise more readily probably about an inch long, something like that. That's right, they were supplied to Silco, Dewhurst coats. Many, many people recognise these, used in the household, used on the sewing machines. I'd say they'd be used up, once they're used up, they either made toys out of them or threw them on the open fire. That one's a kind of beige colour, and then we've got some bigger ones as well. The one you've got in your hand right now, that is probably twice as long as the one you just had and sort of thinner and it's got a more distinct kind of axle in the middle so to speak. Well they're all different shapes and sizes, they made over 260 different styles and shapes of bobbin at this mill and again it was the demand from Lancashire, Yorkshire or the, the mill owners, all the different sizes and shapes took a different amount of thread. So the larger they were, the smaller the diameter in the middle, you get more cotton wound on. The larger the diameter in the middle, less cotton on. So, and again, they were shaped like that for strength, and then they were also so that when the cotton went on, it wound from one end to the other end. What's the darker one that you've got there on the table? The three-piece ones, the larger three-piece ones, you either turn the spindle, turn the flange, turn the flange, they'd have to glue and dowel those together. Right. They were known originally as reels, and they were for the industry in Lancashire again, and, and uh, Yorkshire. And you'd start with the really big ones, with the very thick yarn. So it's the fleece from the sheep in the woolen industry in Yorkshire. You'd comb it, wash it and comb it, and then you start spinning it on the spinning mules. So it would then get thinner and thinner and thinner. So it starts out on the larger bobbins and then works its way down to the small bobbins. And then the finished yarn would be on there and that would go to the next mill to produce your cloth. Right. 
So this was the first part in a series of manufacturing processes that really contributed to a massive industry in the Industrial Revolution. It is. I mean, the industry developed when they got the power, which was from the water, but then with the steam, you got the bigger mills. Demand was there around the world, and what they used to do was increase the size of the mills and the, increase the manufacturer. So yes, this supplied the demand for the wooden bobbins. So how important was this mill in the story of the Industrial Revolution then? It was a key part supplying the, the wooden bobbin or reel that the cotton was wound onto. So it was a key element of the industrial north. And the, out of the 260 different styles and shapes of bobbins, yes. Where were they all going to once they'd been fashioned? Well, they started around this area in 1835, but as the transport links got better, the steam railway came, they transport them to Lancashire, Yorkshire, down across the country up to Scotland into Ireland. We do have some examples of these bobbins being sent abroad. They actually went to Matadi, Bangkok and Melbourne from this little mill. And then how did the thread and yarn get attached to these bobbins? Presumably that was a process done by somebody else further down the production chain. That was the mills again in Lancashire, Yorkshire or wherever they sent them to right across the country. So this mill just supplied the wooden bobbins to the mills. All right, Mick, well, we've come back into the old mill bit. We've got the uh, thicker cobbles underneath our feet and we're standing next to a machine and you're going to tell me right now how the whole process starts. Obviously you have to chop the wood, so that's one job, but how many jobs are there involved? There were sawyers, blockers, borers, roughers, finishers. So there's five main processes to making a bobbin. And once you've chopped down the wood, you presumably you have to dry it out. There is delivered tons and tons of wood that was delivered to the mill. You've got drying barns outside or coppice barns where you dry the, start the drying process of the wood. Then they would bring the longer poles in and you'd use, the sawers would use a circular saw to cut the wood. Originally, they didn't even have a guard over that blade. That blade would be spinning at over 3,000 revolutions a minute. Very fast, very sharp. You could easily lose a finger or part of your hand if you're not careful. Right, okay. <laughs> so yes, they soon learned to be very safe. What they want to do on here is cut the long poles down to the shorter blocks and that's the exact length of a bobbin. And you've got a long pole there, which is probably about, what, two feet, two and a half feet long? Yeah. So that would have been cut outside and left to dry for a little bit, but they'd still be cutting these while they're green. Still got the sap, the field damp. So the men on here would set the machine to cut exactly the right length, use a push stick to push the wood through. Saw would cut through and the block would go down to the basket. Once you've gone through the saw, you've probably got about, what, four inches of a cylindrical bit of wood? That's right. If that's a four inch length that we want for the bobbin, this would be set for four inches and they'd just cut and cut and cut. They were paid per gross, so for every 144 pieces they were paid an amount. And that's a gross, 144? 144. And then that gross would then go to the next part of the process and the borer would bore a hole through the middle. OK, well let's go and find out what the borer did. We'll put that guard back down so that no one cuts their fingers. Now you have just stood up on a crate and now you're sitting on a giant lump of wood which looks a little bit like a railway sleeper. And you're sitting as though 
a drill bit is about to drill towards your middle. But this is where someone would sit and then take these sort of four inch cylindrical bits of wood and then they would do what to them? So the borer would be sat here, the drill or boring tool would be spinning around again well over 3,000 revolutions a minute. They'd grab a block, they'd centre it up by eye and they'd do the first cut. They'd then pull it back, go halfway through, pull it back or drill and bore a hole right through the middle. Right, and how many did they do in a shift? Well again, they were doing it once they had the hole in the middle, throw it in the basket, they were trying, they were paid by the gross. That would then go over to the uh, rougher. They were aiming to do, well the blockers and the borers were aiming to do between 35 and 40 gross a day. That's over 5,000 pieces each. Wow, so how long was the shift? Again, we're not exactly sure. They worked longer hours in the summer, shorter hours in the winter, but we do know sometimes depend it was always order driven. The busier they were, they worked long hours. There were times when they did through the night as well if they had to get orders out. So they worked long days, six, eight, 10, 12 hour days. Okay, Mick, so you hop off that uh, bench and we'll just uh, mind our heads as we go past these leather belts because I suspect in the, the olden days this would have been running and you don't want to take your, take your ear off. Well, we're going to switch on in a minute with the electric, original electric motor. That was put in in 1941 as part of the Second World War effort because they got a lot of extra work and got electricity put in very early for that time. So when we switch it on, all the belts that are powering the machines we're still running now have guards on. The rest of the belts we've lifted off and we've made it safe for visitors to come through. But you've got to imagine this mill was still running right up till 1971 and there was no guards and they were just ducking and diving and working around here. Yeah, and also wading through lots of chippings and uh, flayed off bits of, bits of wood, as well, you can hear. You'll see in a minute, the, there was part of the, the block is shaved off or it goes flying, the shavings go flying. It does look like it's waste, but that was reused. It was just swept through that doorway and that'd be used for the steam engine. So they'd reuse everything. But there were times when they were in here and it was absolutely freezing cold in the winter. They had to open the doors and the windows and get rid of the fine sawdust. They didn't get the fire or combustion explosion. So at this end, this is not the fire risk because it's still green wood and difficult to burn. So they used to allow that pile of shavings to go to about knee high or waist high and they used to work in it. It acted as insulation like a nest to keep them warm. And then when it gets up too high, they just swept it through that doorway and that's where the boiler is. Right. Okay, so having waded through some of this uh, flayed off bits of wood, we arrive at phase three of the bobbin making process, which is... This is the roughing. The blocks have now got the hole in, so they'll be tipped into that box there next to the lathe. They'll be put onto the lathe and roughed out. And they look pretty rough because they've got plenty of bark still on them. They have, so you're roughing off maybe half the size of it, you're taking it to a roughed out shape and that's so you can finally dry the piece of wood out. Again that would be thrown in the basket, there'd be 144 once they've got the gross, that gross then goes upstairs into a drying room and they'd use the heat from the boiler to finally dry the wood out, they'd then send those pieces to the men at the end and the finishers would finish them off. And this is the stage where it starts to look a little bit like a bobbin, just a rough one. It does. He's getting rid of the outer bark, he's shaping it roughly to the size of it, and then it helps it to dry out quicker. 
So at this point now, we'll switch the whole line shafting on using the electric motor, the original electric motor. So above us, we've got a series of pulleys. circular wheels, pulleys. pulleys, and the are they leather pulleys. The, the the metal wheels, as you would call them, they're the pulleys, and then the leather belts come down, and they're powering the machines. Yes. Okay, and you're going to step towards the lathe. I'm going on the roughing lathe here and we'll rough this out and I'll show you how quickly it happens. Okay, well I'll let you put on your safety goggles first. That's it, we have to wear safety goggles now. They didn't even bother with safety goggles or anything. And this is a two-step process, isn't it? Yeah, so we'll put the piece in, get it spinning. That's one. One done, we'll put another piece in, larger piece, more shavings, you see the shavings fly off. You see how quickly they were. You feel, feel the shavings that came off, you can feel how damp they are. Yeah, they are. You still feel, that's why they still have to send them up to dry them out. So what the lathe is doing is it's spinning around what is going to be the bobbin, the cylindrical piece of wood and then you've got a two-step process where it's almost like a rowing machine where you pull the handle towards you, it does one side and then it does the next process. Exactly. So you're basically peeling off the bark in step one and then in step two you're going a lot deeper with a different tool and then that's shaving off the, 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 the centre. Yeah. Now it's only semi-skilled at this point. Finishers were the, the most skilled in the workforce. They had to get exactly the right diameter and exactly the right shape. Right, so we're now standing by the semi-automatic boring machine, which was made in circa 1870s, cast iron machine. And who would have worked on this? For the semi-automatic boring machine, this is slightly going back in the process. So whereas the men and older boys were hand-boring the larger blocks, this machine here puts a hole in the medium-sized blocks. And that machine up there puts a hole in the little blocks for the cox bobbins. They were too difficult to, hand, to drill or bore by hand. So they invented this machine in 1860. They advertised it for boys and girls as young as 8, 9 and 10 to work on this machine. We have a picture of very young boys working on these machines. It set it going. The weights come down. One, two, three. That drills the holes out. So the ones with holes in go in there, and they put two new pieces on to be drilled. The ones with holes in go in there, and they put two new pieces on to be drilled. That's his job all day long, to throw those in there and then load it back up. It's a bit like starting a car with a gear stick with your left hand, and then you're almost playing a game where you're serving the wood into the grooves which are on the plates. The plates move up and down and then you swap a bit of wood which has been bored, chuck it into the basket on your left and your right and then you just repeat the process. Yeah, it's been doing that all day long. So it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit like driving a car and playing a video game and maybe also rubbing your stomach whilst patting your head. That's exactly, I think that's a good, a good explanation of it, yeah. So Mick has just handed me over to Tracy. What's your full job title here, Tracy? Uh, I'm site technician stroke site uh, supervisor here. And where are we standing right now? 
We're standing right beside the, the boiler that's just arrived here. Really, it arrived here probably about two months ago, having been made for us by North Bay Railway Engineering Services. This is uh, the new boiler that replaced the old boiler because the old boiler was decommissioned in 1951. They've actually made us a new boiler, but they have used some of the original parts from the old boiler. So we've got the fire door here and we've got the other the doors and then the sight glasses and the water injector and the donkey pump are all, all from the old boiler. It almost looks like a giant barrel. It is. I mean, it's well, to me, it looks like a bit like Quatermass, really. It looks like it's just about to take off and fly into space. Really. Yeah. And it's quite large. It's probably about, what, nine feet tall? Something like something that? Something like that, yeah. So how does it work and what does it do in terms of making bobbins? Well, it's generating the steam, and obviously the steam engine needs the steam because that's the power that it uses to work by. So this is the boiler that's generating the steam. So I'll open up this door here. It's a fire door, and it'll show you where the, the wood and the coal is burning inside there. So you there. just put so a glove on there because yeah, it's Yeah, because obviously warm. things get very hot, hot metal. You don't want to be touching anything with your bare hands. So we've got the, the hole in here at the base of the boiler where you've got your fire. So we've got wood and we've got coal burning in there at the moment. Obviously you need water to generate steam. So we do have water in the cross tubes and then there's also a sleeve of water as well in the boiler here. So that's, the fire is heating up that water. And then at the very top of the boiler, you've got your steam chamber. So that's where you're going to save up your steam. So you're building up the pressure of steam at the top of the boiler. And then how does that then drive the equipment next door? The pipe that comes out the top of the boiler there, you can see it goes through the wall. That's taking the steam to the steam engine. And then at the steam engine, there's quite a few valves that you have to open up that will let the steam into what they call the single cylinder. And inside that, it's got some large piston plates and they go backwards and forwards with the steam and that forces the piston arms in and out. And that will turn the flywheel. And the flywheel is then connected by a belt to the line shaft and then the line shaft turns and that will gen generate the power for the machines. So just thinking about it really, it's just starting off very slowly, but it will start building up to a trot, the donkey. You can hear from the water tank that it's starting to pump the water through, so it's quite noisy this one. And it's starting to pick up pace as well. It is, yeah. So I'll just turn this off now. You don't want to get too much water in get too much water in then you're not going to be able to bring the pressure down because you're using the cold water also to bring the pressure down because cold water you introduce cold water then that will cool everything down a bit so and you lose the steam you run out of steam that's it yeah so it's all about balancing really the fire the water and the steam talking about the the steam power how big of an advancement was that when it was introduced and when was it introduced this one obviously came here in 1880 and it gave off a lot more power. So this is a 38 horsepower steam engine, whereas the turbine that they had, that would only generate about 17 horsepower. So this would give a lot more oomph and also that's when they were starting to make a lot more bobbins from the 1880 onwards. So that was their heydays really, so they needed more power. And also in the Lake District there was a big drought in the 1850s. A lot of the mills ended up closing because they were completely reliant on the water, so it was a very good investment to get, really. So originally, depending on water as a mill, then it became a sustainable steam-powered mill. And this giant wheel in front of us, it's probably the size of a person, that is the workhorse of the mill. 
That's it, because you can see there's a large belt that's on the flywheel there, and that went down to the main line shaft, and from that line shaft you had vertical and horizontal belts all coming off that one line shaft, so it would power another two line shafts as well. So three line shafts are being powered just from this one flywheel. So to recap, you've got a stoker, a boilerman, or in your case a boiler lady, yeah. and then the boiler person is also monitoring the pressure so that there isn't the risk of an explosion and also that the pressure isn't so low that the flywheel stops turning everything next door. That's right, because he's going to make sure that because of all the machines start running, they're going to suddenly be taking a lot of that work away from the engine, so it's going to have to work harder, so you're going to have to put more steam in and also put more wood into and coal into the boiler as well. So the stoker's communicating with the boilerman, and the boilerman, will he be communicating to the workshop next door? Um, I don't think so. I think they'll just come in and do their work, and they'll know when the engine maybe um, when the engine is running slow because their machines aren't going to be working, you know, effectively really. If if it's not working fast enough, you can't, you know, do your gross. No, I mean that's the beauty of one of these places. Everyone is reliant on everyone else, so you have to get on. Everyone has to know what everyone else's job is really, you know, so that you can all work together and make an effective. Bobbin at the end. So it's a real team effort. It is, yeah. I mean, that was the beauty of what these places, as far as I, from what I believe, that the camaraderie between all the workers was very good because they were so reliant on each other, really. And also reliant on these machines, which were fantastic inventions of their day. Certainly, yeah. I mean, they're just beautiful, and hence the fact that they're still working to this day. You know, that's a real sort of telltale sign that they were made so beautifully well. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. To find out what else makes Stott Park Bobbin Mill so special, and to see a bobbin being made, head over to our website and YouTube channel. We're back next week. Until then, don't forget to review and subscribe. Thanks for listening. See you next time.